The Bible gives us ways of finding out where we really are. And it's not that God's angry at us. He just wants us to, to walk in truth. And so the practical things are what help bring that out. And, and this is part of what we're going to get into, into tonight. So let's begin to look at this. And James has written, this book is written to, to Hebrew believers that have through persecution in the, in the first uh, decade or so of the church's history uh, were, were driven out of persecution out of Jerusalem. And many of them ended up in Asia Minor where, the, where the, uh, the churches that Paul started were founded. But because they were separated from their, their mother church and the, and, the, and the apostles in Jerusalem, um, they kind of, when you get separated from your home, what happens is you tend to get uh, fragmented. You, you begin to, other influences begin to work in. This is why the Bible says for, to not forsake our assembling together. Uh, all the more as you see that day approaching, and it's, it's approaching, because we need one another. None of us are capable of walking this out on our own. I don't care how many seminaries you've been to. I don't care how long you've been a pastor. I don't care how long you've been in this church, how much you know. On our own, we can't make it. We need one another, and, and, and God has made us that way. And so, so this is what's been happening, and so it's been creeping in are some heresies. They've gone through some persecution. They were getting weak. They were getting distracted. Because when you get tired, when you're hungry, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're afraid, all those things begin to weaken your resistance, which is, again, why we need one another. Because hopefully when I'm weak, you're strong. When you're weak, I'm strong. Uh, and and we, that's one of the reasons why we need one another. So James is dealing with some of those practical things that he's talked about going through trials and difficult times, and we've talked about that. We talked last time uh, about, uh, about how to listen. We looked in verses 19 and 20 where he's talked about let every man be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and, and, sh and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then he said, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that's what we talked about last week. Receiving the implanted word. It's God causes us to grow. God causes us to get strong. God heals us. God delivers us primarily through implanting the word in us. So if you never get the word implanted in you, God's very limited in a what he can do for you. Yes, he can do miracles. Yes, somebody might lay hands on you. But what lasts is when the word of God gets sown in your heart and begins to grow and begins to produce a harvest. And we looked at that last week. We went into Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, where Jesus says, this is the way the kingdom of God works. The seed, which is the word of God, is sown in your heart. And the condition of your heart determines what that seed is able to do. In other words, what God is able to do in our lives. And that seed has to be received. You don't just go get it. It has to be received. So God's always planting it. The question is, are we receiving it? And it has to be received with meekness. Right. And we talked about what that. So if we, if we think, well, I know what I'm doing, or I know, I, I'm not willing to listen to that, or then that's not meekness. Meekness is I'm teachable. Weak meekness is I don't have all the answers. In fact, I may not have many answers. But, I, but I'm honest about where I am and that I need help. God can always work through meekness. Pride, the Bible says, go before a fall. Pride is the most dangerous sin there is because you're convinced you're not in it. And because you're convinced you're not in it, you can't see you're in it up to your eyeballs. And as a result, you begin to disconnect from God. God doesn't disconnect from you, but you begin to disconnect from God. And we may get into that at some point. So, talked about being, you know, receiving the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, verse 22 is where we're going to pick up today. This is our part. So it's one thing to receive the word, 
But that's not enough. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That's one of the most important and powerful verses in the Bible. Because this is where so many Christians miss it. And this is one of the areas where God's just working on me about because you can be think you're doing things and then realize God begins to show you you're good at hearing it, you're good at talking it, but are you doing it? But be doers. So but refers back to what we just said that we are to be we're, this God's salvation. And that word salvation doesn't just mean going to heaven. It means all of God's plan for your life. Deliverance, healing, restoration, healing of your soul, healing of your body, healing of your, of your mind, uh, all kinds of, the fullness of what God wants in your life comes primarily through receiving the word implanted in your soul. But now James goes on to say that's not enough because you can't just be hearers of that word but be doers of that word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I've talked about this a number of times. But to me, that is just stands out in bold relief. If I'm just hearing the word and I'm not doing it, according to the Bible, I'm deceiving myself. And that's very subtle. To hear the word and then not apply it in your life. In fact, when we, I think when we went through the course on renewing the mind, and, I, and actually also when we did that Sunday morning series at the beginning of this year on seasons and on changes, I talked about how, how to receive things and, and how to receive the Word. And I talked about that li- listening, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Because when, when you just hear the words, but you don't have the intention of applying it, you, you're just hearing, but you're not listening. Hearing to me implies the words go in my ears and the sound resonates. It's like when your wife says, you know, did you hear what I said? And you can repeat it back, but you really, it really didn't get in. But listening is when your undivided attention is given to someone and your heart and your mind are open to hear what they have to say. It doesn't mean you agree with it, but you're open to hear it. I got into a discussion the other day with somebody that I have very different views on a certain very important issue in our land today, and I went back and forth, and you know, I, I'm, I'm an arguer. I was, I was born arguing, I think, and that's part of why I went to be a lawyer, because I love to debate things even in, in grammar school. I can still remember in grammar school getting into these arguments, because I just I lo- love to argue something, and, and, uh, and I've gotten somewhat over that. Uh, and 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 because I get passionate about it, and I can feel those juices revving up again, and to calm down because this is somebody I care very much about. I didn't want to get into strife with them, and then I realized, you know what? I need to listen to them. I just need to listen to where they're coming from. Somewhat what we're talking about on Sunday morning. I need to just listen to where they're coming from because the moment I hear an issue, I have a defenses begin to come up and arguments begin to come up, and one of the basic things I learned in marriage. Uh, marriage counseling and also in marriage seminars is if, if, you're, if you're talking, if your wife's talking to you and you're planning your answer, you're not listening. All the wives said, amen. If you're, if you're already thinking of how you're going to answer her or you may be already thinking how you're going to answer him, you can't possibly be listening because that means you think you know already what they're going to say and you already have an answer, which means you're not letting it get in. And I had the Lord teach me a long time ago. He said, the only time you're in a position to really say something corrective to your wife is when you've allowed what she feels about this to touch your heart. 
Because once it's touched your heart, you're going to come to her out of your heart, not out of your head. And the Bible teaches that same principle. Because it says, the letter of the law kills. The law is truth. It's the Ten Commandments. They're truth. But when that only comes out of the cold, hard letter of the law, it hurts. It kills. And if you've been married long enough and you were saved while you were married early on, you probably had the experience, men and women, of taking this word and using it as a weapon on each other. And, and, and it never produced good. I remember I, my, some of my best sermons early on were preached at my wife. <laughs> Didn't do a bit of good. I preached them at her. And all I did was create, hardened her heart towards those issues. And finally, I eventually got through and said, God, how come this is not working? And he showed me this principle. He said, and the word of God says, but the spirit of the law gives life. It's the heart that's behind it, which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you can be flowing in all the gifts of the spirit, but if it's not motivated by love, it counts nothing in the kingdom of God. In fact, it can do more harm than good. And so, so when we listen, we have to listen with our heart. And that's true when it comes to the Word of God, because this is God speaking to us. So if while we're reading the, reading the Word, and see, it's not like God's sitting down there face to face with us, looking at us, and, you know, He's got this, this you have this, what's called nonverbal communication. So, you know, you can tell whether somebody's listening to you or not. One way is if while you're talking, they're going... That's not a sign they're listening. But when their eyes are looking at you and, and, they're, and they're engaged with you, now you know that they'll... Well, we can't see God looking at us when He's talking, especially when He's talking through this Word. So it's easy to think He's not listening or He's not talking. We're just reading a book. And so we can, we can begin to play games with it and say, well, I don't like this chapter, so I'm going to go over to this chapter. And see... And, and, but that's not listening. So, Okay. So he says here, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So it's possible to hear and be deceived. And I asked the Lord one time, how, how does that deceive you? Because to deceive means you think you're right when you're wrong. And that's dangerous to think to be deceived. And what's worse is to do it to yourself. There are a lot of people out there trying to deceive you now, but it's another thing when you... It's like having dealing with a, with a con artist. There's so many con artists out there on, on the internet now and, and on phone calls. And I saw some warnings from the IRS again. Be careful. And I got another one of those emails a couple of weeks ago. It was a phone message. This is so-and-so. You, you, know, you owe the IRS this much money, and they're going to sue you tomorrow. Well, it doesn't work that way. So they're not conning me because I know what the truth is. But, but it, so it's one thing if, if, if you fall into a trap where somebody's conned you. It's another thing when you do it to yourself. Because that's ought to be preventable. To do it to yourself, I mean, shame on us. And how do we do it? To, to be here, hear the word without the intention of applying it in my life is to deceive myself. So I ask the word, how, how, how does that deceive me when I do that? And here's what he showed me. He said, because when you hear the word, I mean, for instance, if you're, if you're looking for a wisdom or, and you hear the word, this is what you need to do. That builds up hope. Anytime God speaks to you, 
It creates faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when we hear the Word of God, it, it, get, it encourages us, it can build our faith up. Uh, it, maybe, maybe you're struggling with an issue and you hear a message or you open your Bible and you see a scripture that speaks right to it. It gives you hope. And hope isn't change. Hope isn't deli- Hope's important, but we leave feeling good. Oh, God spoke to me about that. But what causes the change in my life, what causes the deliverance, what causes the salvation is not when I hear it, it's when I apply it. But because I hear it, it gives me hope. Because I hear it, it may inspire me. Even to be corrected can inspire us. Because we know God's speaking into my life. The scariest times to me is if I don't think God's speaking to me. Because I know I don't know what to do. And you, it's, almost, it's never on God's side, it's always on my side. So, so when God, even when God's correcting me, sometimes I've cried when God corrects Oh, thank you so much, Lord. I know I needed that because it's setting me free. But that's not necessarily applying it in my life. So what happens is when we hear something and we mistake the emotion that comes with having heard it for actually applying it in our lives, you'll see what happens. This is what happens. So let's go on to the next verse. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's going he's to give a comparison. He's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So what he's talking about is when you look in the mirror in the morning and you see yourself, what's, your, what's reflected back at you is what you look like. But then as you go on about your day, when you're not, don't, when, if you don't ever look in that again, you begin to lose co- awareness of what you look like. Or let's put it this way. Maybe there's somebody in your life, somebody in your family, you're a close friend of yours that, you know, you saw every day and, and you could tell, you know, they had a freckle up here and a mole over here and you knew the little expressions on their face, but you haven't seen them in 10 years. Or maybe they've passed away. And gradually what happens is that detailed, vivid image begins to fade away. Well, let's give another example. Have you ever had one of those dreams where it's so real when you wake up, your heart's pounding, you know, and you're just, you know, you're right in the middle, your pillow's all watered up or whatever, you know, you're right in the, because it was so real. And then the moment you wake up, your eyes open, especially if you go to tell somebody what happened, it just, it just fades away. And so what James is saying here is when we look in the Word, it's a mirror. It's a mirror shining back at us something. But it's not like any other mirror. Because when you, let me put it this way, when I put my face in the morning in front of that mirror in the bathroom, it doesn't lie to me. What I put in front of it is exactly what it shows back to me. All right? But hold your place here. And let's go over, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, what Paul's been writing about here is that, is that we have this treasure. I think Lafayette may have even touched on this. In fact, it's in this chapter 3 earlier on where he says, the letter kills but the spirit gives life. And he talks about having... Having in the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies over the mercy seat between the two cherubim. 
That's, and, and the only person that could go in there other than Moses was the high priest on the Day of Atonement wearing certain garbs, and then he had to take those off, and he would go in there with the blood of the, with the sacrificial lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat on the altar. If he did anything wrong, he died on the spot. If he didn't do it just right. Because God's presence was in there. And God's glory was in there because that room, I wish I had time to teach on that because I had a course on that in the school of ministry. That room was lit up by nothing other than the glory of God. There was no candlelight in there. There was no sunlight in there. That room was illuminated only by the glory of the presence of God. And everything in that room was solid gold. Can you imagine what that looked like? Well, you're going to see something even better when you get to heaven. So it represented the glory of God dwelling in the midst of Israel. And Paul's using that as a contrast because he said we have something better because God's glory doesn't dwell in a temple, in a tabernacle made of cloth and of metal and of wood. God's glory dwells in a temple of your body and my body. And so that's the background to these verses. But there's an aspect that I want to see. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, he's just talked about how Israel still has a veil over. In, the old, under, in, the, in this tabernacle, the people could not see this glory of God because there was a veil, which was a curtain, that separated that holy of holies from a holy place, and then another curtain that separated that. So the people could not look in and see the glory of God. Even the priest couldn't look in there. The only one that could go in there was the high priest on that day of atonement. So there was a veil that kept the glory of God away from them and them away from the glory of God. He goes on to say that that veil represents Christ's flesh. And that veil was torn away when he died on the cross. When our sins were paid for, the sin that separated us from God was paid for. The debt was paid. So the separation between God's presence and us was removed so that we can now come, Hebrews 10 says, with confidence and boldness into the throne of God. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 say we can come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find help with boldness and openness, no shame. So that's been removed. And now he's going to talk about, but the Jews still have a veil over their mind and over their heart because they can't see Christ. And that view, that, that is the law of their old traditions. But we all, that's Christians now, with an unveiled face, look at this, beholding as in a mirror. And what do we just read? Paul says, or James says, that when you're a hearer but not a doer, it's like looking at your own face in a mirror. What this says is beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit, the Lord. Now that's kind of a tangled way, but let me break that down for you. So with a, with a clear, we're able to see clearly now, we're beholding, that is we're seeing, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now over, don't go back there yet, but, but we just saw back in James, what does he use as an example of the mirror, of a mirror, God's mirror? It's this word. Because he says when you're a hearer of this word, but not a doer, you're like a man that's looked in his face in a mirror, and he's 
forgets what kind of man he was. Did I drop something? Okay. Uh, forgets what kind of man he is. So what these two verses together are saying is that when you look in this word, and this is a mirror, but unlike any other mirror, the mirrors in my house, the mirror in my bathroom, as I said earlier, whatever I put in front of it, that's what it shows back to me. That mirror does not make me look any better or any worse. But this mirror is a different mirror. This mirror has within it God's image of you. This mirror tells us how God sees us through Christ. This mirror says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So you may feel like the same old mess you've always been, but God's image of you in here is you're a new creature in Christ. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 said, He who knew no sin became sin. So that we, you and me, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So this mirror says, I'm, I'm as righteous as Christ is. I don't feel righteous. There are days I don't look righteous. But this mirror says, that's who I am. So when I look in this mirror, and then I begin to apply what this mirror says... I'm receiving that image into myself. And as that image begins to be received into myself, this image says that God has, lives in me is the glory of God. When I begin to see that image that the Word of God says I am, and then I begin to act like who the Word of God says I am, then I'm being transformed into that same image that that mirror says I am from one level of glory to another level of glory. So we heard when Lafayette was here that that glory's on the inside of us. How do we get that glory to the outside of us? How does it begin to shine out of us? You know where the problem is? It's all located between your left ear and your right ear. It's our mind, which is why Paul says in Romans 12 too, therefore be transformed. Be what? There it says. We're transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind contains the image that we have of ourselves, which comes from all kinds of pictures and dots we talked about during renewing mind that have come from your family, that have come from teachers, that have come from your boss, that have come from your own experiences. It may have come from siblings that told you you'll never amount to anything. All those things are stored up in there to create some kind of image of you. And when that image doesn't line up with the image of God that's on the inside of you, this image blocks what comes out of this image. So how do I change this image? How do I change the image of what I'm really like on the inside? How do I change this? By looking into the mirror that God has of me. And, and, re and renewing my mind to who God says I am. You're not getting it. You're, you're not getting it. I'm going to go back over it again. This is so crucial. This mirror can change you into who it says you are actually doesn't change you. It helps you identify on the inside who you already are. I fully believe, I've asked myself this question before, and I've taught this at times. How did Jesus discover who he was? Because remember, he, he, 
in spite of the pictures you may have seen, he wasn't born with a halo around his head. Because if, he, if he'd been born with a halo around his head, they wouldn't have been shocked when he was 30 years old and said he was Jesus, the Son of God. Because they would have realized there's something different about this boy. He's four years old going to kindergarten with a halo around his head. No, he didn't. He grew up basically like by any other young boy, a good boy, not disobeying, but he was a little, he was a boy. He grew up, it says he grew in wisdom and in stature. So to grow in something means you increase in it. Right? So, because he set aside all those attributes, Philippians 2 says, when he was born into Mary's womb, or was conceived in Mary's womb. And so, so, so how did he discover who he was? I believe he discovered who he was by reading the Scriptures. And as he read the scriptures, especially in Isaiah, when they talk about the Messiah and the other scriptures talk about the Messiah, somewhere in here there was a, there was a, a witness that that's you. Amen. Well, that's what's supposed to work with us because Romans chapter 8 says that the, then the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Yep. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. What? That we are sons and daughters of God. So it's the spirit inside of us saying, that's you, as you read through this. And it talks about, if any man be in Christ, I'm in Christ. Oh, I'm a son of God. So it's the process, again, it's the word getting in us. But then we have to act, begin to act like that so. I'll never forget the first time I said, I am the righteousness of God. I thought my knees would quake. I thought I'd pass out. How, how can I get those words up? Because the word of God says I am. The word of God says I am. I'm not being proud. I'm agreeing with what God's Word says I am. And as I begin to do that and talk about myself the way God's Word talks about me, I'm renewing my mind and I'm beginning to be a doer of that Word and not just a hearer only. Because the process is, again, that beholding as in a mirror, as in the Word, the glory of the Lord that's in us. As we behold that in a mirror, we are being transformed into that same image from one level of glory to another level of glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All right. That was good anyway. So we'll go back to James. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Now, let's move down through here. So being a hearer of the Word and a doer is critical First of all, so we don't deceive ourselves. But this is how God causes us to grow. Because verse 4, 24 then says, For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That happens in church all the time. <laughs> it happens in church all the time. We come to church and we sing songs about, you know, who we are in Christ. If any man, we hear wonderful messages about God loves us and, if, and he's, he'll, he'll heal us, He's delivered us. He's, and, we, and we say, oh, wow, oh, that was so good. That's just what I needed to hear. And we walk out and the first problem we run into, what are we going to do? We're going to all fall apart. As if God just suddenly was, He only stayed in here. <laughs> I was listening to a, a sermon by somebody years ago and <laughs> talking about this church he pastored and there was a guy that sat on the front row and he said there was on Sunday evening services they would have a uh, uh, sometimes they would have people just call out the name of a song, their favorite song and they would sing that song as, as a chorus and this guy would always call out you know I, uh, cross any rivers or uncrossable what's that song 
got on rivers that are crossable. You know, our God can do anything like that. And he says he got out on the car with his wife, and his wife said, oh, our son John needs a new pair of shoes, and he freaked out. Where am I going to think money? Money grows on trees. What are we going to do? We're going to fall apart. He said, what happened to the rivers that are impossible? <laughs> you know, so we, we do one thing in church, and then we live something else out there. And that's a dangerous thing, because we just saw we can be deceiving ourselves. And one of the problems with it is this. Because when we, when, and again, we're all in a process of growing. None of us are there. But if, if, we don't, if we don't realize that we've got to apply this in our lives, we can become content with just hearing the Word. And what happens is you, you hear the Word, you hear what's possible. We hear what, we hear what God says He will do for us. And we go out there, and because we're not applying it, we don't experience it. And when you begin to have this disconnect between what you're hearing and what you are experiencing, you do one of two things. Either you get so discouraged, you quit. Or in many ways, the more dangerous thing is you learn to live in two worlds. Our church world and the real world. And this is one of the problems with our young people growing up in Christian homes is they're seeing their parents live, in two, live two different lives. There's the church, Ed Cole, was Ed Cole used to call it church-wise? You had people that were church-wise. They knew how to talk in church, and they knew how to talk in the job. And they had no problem with that, because this is what we do in church, this is what we do. And here's the problem. Our young people, because young people tend to be very much, you know, they want to hear truth. They want something that's authentic. They don't want something that's phony. And one of the greatest trends right now among the millennials is to have a, a reaction to organized church. So they'll meet in houses. They know they meet together. And the problem is they don't last. They don't hold together. And why are they doing it? Because the word I keep hearing is we want something that's authentic, which means what they've been seeing isn't authentic. And, and, the, and here's the problem. We can be doing this and don't realize it because we're content with it. We're settled with it. Until an emergency comes along, and then you kind of find out where you are, but then we have no problem coming to church and say, Jesus heals, Jesus loves me, you know, Jesus forgives, and then go back out and live as if Jesus never had anything to do with my life. And, 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 and the result is we end up deceiving ourselves. And the devil loves us to be in that place because we think we're fine because we go to church, but our lives aren't being changed. Our lives aren't being changed. And it's the Word of God, not just in our hearts, but applied in our hearts, that causes us to change. Okay. I didn't think this was going to be popular, but it's good. Okay. Okay. I need to hear this if you don't. <clears throat> okay. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of that work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Jesus said in one of the points in his, his last message to his disciples is, uh, he said, I think it was in John 13, when he washed their feet and told them what they were supposed to do. He said, blessed are you if you do these things. The blessing is in the doing of the things, not the hearing of the things. We need to hear it so that we can do it. So now he's going to get down to where we live. This is where James is so practical. If any among you thinks he's religious. Now, he's still talking about being self-deceived. So if we think we're religious, 
If, 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 if we think that we're doing well, because I come to church, I bring my Bible, I pray, you know, I, I read the Word for you today, I've given two of them away in my lifetime, you know, I've uh, I watched Christian TV, I've got bumper stickers all over my car, you know, I've got decals on my da dashboard, you know, I wear Christian t-shirts and I go to Christian concerts, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a religious person, I do all the right things. Uh, let's, if anyone among you thinks he's religious... If he thinks he's religious, we're going to find out whether we really are. Because now we're looking, we're now we're looking at the mirror. Because the mirror not only tells you who you are, it also tells you what we're supposed to do because of who we are. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his own tongue, he deceives his own heart. Now, bridling the tongue brings the image of a horse that wears a bridle. And, and a, a horse... When I was younger, we, I had to take riding lessons. My mother made me do it, and so I did. And uh, <laughs> one year when we were on vacation with our family, uh, we, were at, we, we had the two youngest boys with us. And so we go out on a trail. They want to go horseback riding. It's just you, get, you, you pay whatever the money is, and they take you on this trail, and you just ride this horse you know, for half an hour down the trail. And uh, uh, the guy said, do any of you have, have any, any, any experience riding horses? Well, big mouth here. <laughs> oh, boy's right. Pride goes before. <laughs> I've had riding lessons. Oh, great. And he brought me over to a horse named Lightning. <laughs> I deserved it. And I get up on this horse's back, and I can just feel he's wanting to go. You know, and, and with, a, with, a, with a horse, you know, he weighs, I don't know, two tons? I don't wear anywhere near that, okay? <laughs> Wherever he wants to go, he's going. But what I have in my hands are the reins. And the reins are connected to a piece of metal that goes through his mouth. And with most of them, it's one piece of metal, if I remember correctly, that goes over their tongue. There is a bridle, if I remember correctly, that goes over and under the tongue, and that's for horses that are really difficult because it pinches, I guess. But anyway, I could control this 2,000-pound animal that was wanting to go by simply pulling on these two straps. I could control him because that bit controlled his tongue. And what I did with his tongue controlled what he did. You following me? If you cannot, if you do not bridle your tongue, we're talking about being religious now. So the very first thing James addresses as evidence of being true religion is what we speak. Isn't that interesting? Not talking about what you believe. He's not talking about what you do. He's talking about the words you speak. Because his own religion is useless. In Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4, Paul says that the, every word that comes out of our mouth should bring edification, should build people up. It should communicate mercy. That's an interesting test to just put on yourself someday. Is every word I spoke today building people up? Now, sometimes you, as a, you have to correct situations, but you can do it in a way that builds people up. 
is every word, is the words that are coming out of my mouth, are they encouraging words? Or are they critical words? Are the words coming out of my mouth valuable to people? Because James says they're useless if I can't bridle my own tongue. Later on he talks about, he says, you know, with with one words we we bless God and in other words we curse men that are made in the image of God. He says that's like a fountain giving out bitter water and, and sweet water. That doesn't happen. And he's really getting at the principle of what's in your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. So the first way to check on what's sown in your heart is listen to what's coming out of your mouth. When you hit your thumb with a hammer. Or just somebody cuts you off and there's nobody else in the car with you. Except God. (laughs) What comes out of your mouth? And this is not to condemn any of us. It's a check. It's a check. Am I fooling myself by saying, I'm a wonderful Christian, and yet what's coming out of my mouth is profanity, or, or, you know, you can be speaking profanity and saying nice words if you're tearing somebody down. Words hurt. I remember, I think Lafayette referred to this, but I remember when he did, I remember this story that uh, when I was growing up, we had a bully in our neighborhood, and um, he would threaten me. And uh, he was bigger than I was and older than I was. And I remember running to my mother saying, I've forgotten what his name. He's threatening me. She says, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. So go tell him, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. So I said, sticks and stones will break my And he picked up a stick and a stone and threw them at me. <laughs> so much for my mother's advice. <laughs> It's very interesting that the very first thing James talks about as evidence of whether our religion is real or not is the words that come out of our mouth. Part of that is because the principle out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, if you want to know where someone's coming from, just listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. Now, the other side of this is Jesus said about himself, I only ever say what I hear my father saying. I only ever do what I see my father do. Okay. Pure and undefiled religion before God. Now there are religious leaders that have their idea of what pure and undefiled religion is. There are denominations that have their own doctrines of what pure and undefiled religion is. So all those are good opinions. But here we have an insight of what God says pure and undefiled religion is. And I have this simplistic way of looking at it. Since the, since the game is His, the rules are His, and the pieces are His, and the board's His, He gets to make the rules. Right? The earth is His and the fullness thereof. I belong to Him. Every breath I breathe belongs to Him. My life belongs to Him. So I don't get to make the rules. He makes the rules. And He says, before Him in His eyes, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. It's not even going to church. It's to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now this is, an, this is not an exclusive list. And to keep oneself unspotted 
from the world. So he's saying what matters to God, what's the evidence of our religious, of our walk with him, is how we treat people that can't help themselves. We'll probably get into some of this on Sunday. To visit orphans and widows in their difficulty, in their trouble. Orphans and widows represent people who are too weak or too poor to take care of themselves. God has a special place in his heart for those that are helpless. Which is why what's going on in the state house tonight is so important to him. Because an unborn child, an unborn child is precious to God. Because it's defenseless. It can't feed itself, protect itself, provide for itself. It can't do anything. It is totally at the mercy of that mother. And God takes note. And if you've had an abortion, God forgives that. Don't tear yourself up. I'm not talking about you. It's the principles this government espouses and the laws that this government acts and how God sees them. There's a sanctity to human life in God's eyes. And you and I don't get the right to define what that life is. God defines it. And Psalm 139 says, I watched, God, God watched me being formed in my mother's womb. He doesn't say I watched a fetus and it was you when you came out. I watched you being formed in your mother's womb. Isaiah was called into the ministry and, and John was in his mother's womb. And others have been called in their mother's womb. So this is what God says. This is what matters to God. Now we're not going to, well, let's quickly go over there. Isaiah 58. We may get here on Sunday. Isaiah is prophesying to Israel at the time when it was very similar to what the United States is right now. Outwardly, they were a nation professing God. Outwardly, they were worshiping. They were going to the synagogue. But inwardly, their hearts were very far away. And we're just going to pick up down in verse 6. Is this not the fact? What they, were, what they just said, they were arguing with God. And they said, but we fasted and we've sought you. We've done what we're supposed to do. We fasted, we prayed, we've sought you. And God basically said, I didn't listen to you. And then he says, is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke, is it not? To share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring into your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall, listen, look at this. Then your light, your light, your glory shall shine forth like the morning. And your healing, anybody need healing? Shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So God's saying, your relationship with me, your walk with me, somehow ought to get expressed in how you respond to the needs of people, especially those that are weak and can't take care of themselves. Religion in my eyes is not how you sing in church. And I love the worship, I'm sure he does, but it's what do we do then? So if we're satisfied to sing in church, if we're satisfied to do our own thing, and I'm speaking to me as much as you, but, but we can walk past the hungry, we can walk past the poor, we're not moved by these people, then something's wrong. Yeah. 
Something's wrong. And this is where James gets down to where we live. Talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only. I'm going to read verse 8 again. Then when you do this, your light shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily. See, this glory, this life of God on the inside is bottled up in so many of us and the way it comes out is when we begin to give Him away. And it's not just standing on a street corner handing out tracts and preaching. That best preaching sometimes is caring for somebody, ministering to their needs. It's what Jesus did. And then there's an opening to bring the gospel to them by loving them and not just preaching at them. When they've been loved by us and they've been, we've been touched them and, and we've had their compassion on them, then they're much more open to listen to the gospel that we have to share with them. But see, one of the mistakes I think we make as Christians is we go do those good deeds because they're good deeds. Understand what I'm saying? Well, Christians do these things, so I feel better about myself because I went out and I gave $10 to that guy at the corner who said he was homeless. I feel better about myself because I went and spent Providence Rescue Mission and I helped feed some people. I feel better myself instead of caring about the people and doing it because I care about the people. And I, I struggle with it sometimes, but it's not my love in me towards them. It's Christ in me giving His love away. And as you begin to do that, He begins to flow out of you. And that's when that light begins to come out of you. And the glory of God begins to shine. It doesn't shine out of us sitting in here. I think that's what we're looking for. Often we're looking for, we've been singing wonderful songs of praise and worship. We feel the presence of God. All right, let's see something happen. It's going to happen out there. If it happens in here, it's to prepare us to go take it out there. Because this is not a bless me club. This is a hospital. It's a place to get repaired. It's a place to get strengthened. It's a place to get encouraged. It's a place where it's our oasis where we come to to get what we need so that as a believer, as the body of Christ, we can take this out there. And, and allow Him to flow out of us. And so part of where God's calling us to change our focus, this is part of what I believe my purpose in here, is to take the, 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 the focus of this church out there. Yes. And to bring it out there. Yes. To do that, we've got to get filled up in here. But to be filled up in here, to take it out there where right. people live. And God will direct us as we begin to, if we're willing to do that and go, He will empower us and enable us to do that. We want to see the Holy Spirit poured out. But He's not going to get poured out just so we can have a good time in here. He's going to get poured out as He did on the day of Pentecost to take them. And when, when they were filled with the Spirit, what happened? They went out in the streets. They couldn't contain it in the church. They couldn't contain it in the church. Well, we'll probably talk a little bit about this on Sunday. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word of God that is so practical. And Lord, as we hear the Word of God, I just pray that we're not condemned. I pray that we're not discouraged because you're not angry at us. But this word becomes a check on us to find out whether what we're doing in our own eyes is, is something that we're deceiving ourselves about or are we really walking in the fullness of who you've made us to be. Father, you said in your word earlier, and we looked at it last week, we're to receive your word implanted in our hearts with meekness. And meekness means to just walk in the truth about who we really are. And Lord, many of us, for many of us, we're not really walking in this. We're walking in a form of religion that doesn't have the power of it in it. 
and this may be true for all of us in here, certainly for me, Lord. Come and meet us where we are. Come and, and fill us with your spirit. Change our hearts, oh God, that, so that we may feel what your heart feels. When Lafayette was here, he, he challenged us to ask you to give us a vision. A vision for the treasures that are out there. A vision for the lost. A vision for what it is that you see when we see people. When you see people. And so, Lord, we ask you to work in our hearts to do that. For our hearts need to change. Because many times we're just content with what we have here. We're content with what we have in our own lives. And many times, Lord, we're just dealing with so many issues of life we get distracted from what's truly important to you and should be important to us. And so, Lord, we just ask you to help us. Thank you that you forgive us and encourage us. Meet us where we are. And change, Lord, the heart of this church, together, all of us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.